0: Good afternoon, universe, and welcome to another episode of Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, where we break down the stronghold, bad opinions of the evil one, and set up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we're on a journey to go deeper and deeper into Christian dogma, believing that the truth of God is such that when He speaks, He does so with the intention not only that we can hear, not only that we can understand, but also that we can same say, that is, we can confess, that is, we can can speak it back to him and saint paul admonishes all of us in his letter to timothy he says hunger for the truth watch your life and doctrine closely there's a time coming when people aren't going to put up with sound doctrine they're going to suit their own desires by gathering around them teachers to teach what their itching ears long to hear but you not so shall it be with you christian you're going to hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught and so not only encourage yourself but also encourage others. This week we got regular guests on the show to help us continue learning how to say, and say how to confess, how to repeat what our Lord Jesus Christ has said by looking at Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, Volume One. Regular guests: Pastor Jacob Bobby, he's pastor at First Trinity Lutheran Church in Bloomfield, Nebraska, and Pastor Samuel Bobby, yep, they're brothers. He's pastor at Saint Paul's Lutheran Church in Aberdeen, South Dakota. A couple of really great gentlemen. You remember they're 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 a bit of a ragtag team being on the in the studio not in studio but uh talking with them via skype before the show it's hard to get a word in edgewise they're so busy ribbing each other and having a great time uh laughing about everything that everything in the world gentlemen how are you doing this morning or this morning goodness gracious afternoon
1: (laughs) doing well jonathan yeah yeah doing great Thanks for having
0: us. Absolutely, it's good to have you guys back. So, so we did chat just briefly uh, before we went into kind of the ribbing fest and all that, and talking about pastors and pipes and these kinds of things, right? Uh, we were talking about this this topic that we've been covering for the last several weeks on cross defense in Francis Papers Dogmatics Volume One, right? Kind of the classic dogmatics text for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, Section Nine that begins on page forty six with theology as aptitude and this idea. of... Of the pastor's habitus or habit, and, and we were, I, I kind of threw at you guys that I've always struggled with this. Only a couple of weeks ago, some of the other guys on the show really helped me, kind of at least in my own mind, clarify what is this stuff about. What does this really mean? Because I was always asking, "Well, aren't these things that really should apply to all Christians? Right? Aren't these things like... Uh, oh, where did point number one go? I lost it already. Uh, you know, to have faith in Christ to." Uh, be able to suppress your own thoughts and divine matters, and instead look to the Word of God, to to look to the entire truth of Scripture, and to be willing to say that something's an error when it's an error. Don't these things apply to all Christians? And the answer is kind of yes. So then, so what's this really getting at? And the answer that I've come to, and, and understanding it at least, is well. This thing which applies to all Christians, doubly so, must apply to a pastor. And so in this sense, what what people have given us here is the way we are to judge men who are looking to become pastors and test them. Do they have this aptitude? Is this habit that belongs to all Christians something that they exhibit so that they can serve in that office well, well, right? I I think is what I'm saying. So what are your thoughts there? Why don't you guys jump in with that one?
1: I think it's uh a— Really important question and important distinction, which which is necessary for folks to know about, no matter what time and place they live in. But the idea that that even though when we're talking about Christians, we're talking about those who have faith in Christ and Christ's vicarious satisfaction, the forgiveness of sins by grace, and, and all of that. But when it comes to a particular calling as a pastor or a teacher of the church. That means that we're talking about aptitudes that perhaps not every Christian has, and, and in order to understand whether or not somebody is fit for the office, has an aptitude for the office, it has to be judged according to what the Bible lays out as criteria. And Pieper does a great job of, of drawing this distinction because I think that sometimes people think that, well, anybody can be a pastor— I mean, it just doesn't take anything special, but it it does take some aptitude. I mean, they're God given gifts and all that. That I'm we're not saying that not that that's not true, but but people have have particular aptitudes for the office, just as though people have particular aptitudes for other vocations that some people may not have. Yeah, I'm,
2: I'm I'm I agree with Jacob. It was really interesting the way he goes through and sets up. This habitus, like you said, that's not exactly obvious. Like, what, a, geez, what's, you know, what does he mean by that? But yeah, in terms of judging, okay, does a, does a guy who wants to be a pastor display these things? I'm just thinking, you know, like refuting false teaching. I mean, that requires, a, I mean, I, in one sense, yeah, all Christians are able to do that. But in a lot of other senses, there are Christians who, boy, at the first sign of conflict, they're running the other direction. Mm. But a pastor, that's not an option. You know, like, no, you have to be able to give a defense, kind of like the first Peter, you know, fit 115 kind of stuff, you know, be able to give a defense, be prepared to give a defense. Um, yeah, so, I mean, those kinds of things, I, I think, kind of separate out this particular office, what this looks like, and, you know, okay, these are the things you need to be able to show some skill and effectiveness in.
0: Right and so this this really becomes about not a private life but a, but a public life in many ways too right so it's not just that you have faith but it's that you you maintain, or should I say sustain, or it's not like you're the one doing it, but that that faith is not something that's just disappearing every day. Like, you know, you, you're not sure if Jesus rose right. from the dead, and then you are, and you know—or or that you're not really—you don't know how to comfort yourself in your, in your trouble by, by fleeing to the right places, by, by, you know, finding absolution, all those kinds of things. Or like you said, you know— you, you, a uh, pastor is like well yeah that's wrong that's a false teaching but i'm not sure i could ever speak out against that right so now you're you're moving from a private reality to a public reality and the the fact of the matter is the office of the ministry is a public reality it is for the sake of more than just the individual and for that reason it has to be held to a higher standard
2: Well, and you see, you see kind of a movement, you know, so he talks about these theological aptitudes and the first one, just the idea that you have faith in Christ, um, is maybe not as public in and of itself. And same with the next one, being able to confine yourself to the teaching entirely to God's word. You know, you're not putting reason above it. You're not putting feelings or emotions or, you know, (laughs) mystical stuff above it, um, But by golly, that stuff's going to show itself when you are in that public office of teaching and preaching, boy. You know, it's going to—whether that stuff is there or not, you're going to be able to tell right away.
1: Yeah, and these are aptitudes—these are definitely aptitudes for the public proclamation. And and even getting down to the last one, which is the willingness and strength to suffer for the Christian doctrine, that is an aptitude of an ability to be able to deal with the consequences of— being uh, active in the public office.
2: Also notice that this whole thing, as I'm reading through this, all of this is kind of, it seemed foundation, on the idea that, boy, you take theology seriously. Because I think there's a sense where, you know, you look out on a Sunday morning, everyone in the pews, they are there because they have faith in Christ. They're there to receive God's gifts, His gifts of forgiveness and grace and mercy in Christ. Um, but for people who are, for guys who are looking to go into the office, there is this sense where, while well, this stuff is really serious, you know, <laughs> this is, right. and, and, and we're going to take this stuff really, really seriously uh, to the point where the idea that, no, this is actually true, you know, uh, and I'm going to act as though this is true in every aspect of my life, whether it's when I'm studying God's word or when I'm teaching other people, because that's not always the case when you're teaching. You know, oftentimes you'll listen to teachers and they're just kind of presenting different viewpoints. Mm by you you're not you know as a pastor that's not what you're doing i would say if that is what you're doing well this is this is what kind of you know jesus is here but you know some people say this like well that's not that's not the aptitude of theology that you would call scriptural at all
0: Right. You're, you're really, I mean, not that any Christian should take their faith as a hobby, but you're, you're really taking something that for many Christians is a hobby, namely the study of the theology right? the study of the knowledge of God. Now you're making this your job. So if you're going to do your job, you better be able to do your job well. You don't want some plumber who comes in kind of like, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I think I'll try this piece, right? You're going to be like, what? <laughs> and so so you really want your pastor to have that kind of an approach, a professional approach, if I can say it that way, to what the Word of God is, what our life as Christians are, even to the level where his private faith is no longer strictly a private matter, right? Because, like, seriously, I mean, you guys have to have been in a pu- in a pew at some point where some guy's up there and he's talking, and you're like, I'm not sure you even believe what you're saying to me right now. You're just kind of, like, <laughs> saying stuff, right? The, the pastor is to be the the emblem for the congregation's faith, and these things are requirements given from Scripture, drawn from Scripture, for what that reality expects,
1: yeah, and, and this is, I, you know, being the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, I think, I can't help but thinking about, you know, what was expected of priests at Luther's time before the Reformation, and what Luther, you know, after his uh, rediscovery of the gospel experience and his theology developed, what he expected from pastors to be doing, not to just talk commentary about what people have said, but to actually take it seriously and, and not just to perform the mass in some rudimentary way, but to actually apply God's word to the people and do pastoral ministry. And I think that if you're talking about that, the aptitudes that, that Peeper lays out are, are are necessary aptitudes, and not only that biblical aptitudes, but it but it, it changes depending upon what you think a pastor ought to be doing.
2: And and there's a relationship too between the pastor and the congregation. Kind of like if you ever see people walking their dogs, it's funny. Sometimes people look like their pets.
1: Hmm, hmm. You know,
2: I don't I don't even want to go there for what kind of <laughs> dogs ours would look like or whatever. Um, you talked about a pastor up to does this guy even, you know, believe what he's saying. Well, if you're teaching people and you're feeding people in uh, with God's word and you are not taking this stuff seriously, or you aren't perhaps, you know, using these aptitudes or developing these aptitudes the way that you are, that's going to be reflective in the congregation um, because you are the guy placed there by God um, to do the work of uh, preaching God's word and ministering those sacraments. Now I'm not saying that God can't work through his word and his spirit, uh, when and where he wills. However, there is a sense where uh, the bad habits and the good habits of a pastor can be picked up by the congregation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you if you as a pastor are not in your teaching, confining yourself to God's Word, well, right. don't expect your parishioners to, when they are in a position to encounter a, or dispute something concerning Christian faith or practice, to be confining themselves to God's Word, or you know, to be refuting false teachers at all. I mean, if a pastor is doing that, they necessarily model what it looks like to do that. I think, yeah, parishioners look like they're pastors in a lot of ways.
0: Eventually, for sure. You know, it, take, it takes yeah. time for that to come to be. That's I, true. Yeah. Th- there's a bit of a, a law for pastors that someone once told me, and, and I, I take it to heart, although I've never been on the back end of it, although I believe it would be the case if I was there. So when you first get to a parish, w- the things you think are wrong with the parish are the things that are probably wrong with your predecessor. After you've been there 20 years, if you still think anything's wrong with the parish, <laughs> you should take a closer <laughs> look because it's what's wrong with you, right? And you got you to like uh, handle that. Hear, hear. But this also gets to why, at least historically, the Missouri Synod did move its pastors around or encourage them to move around on a a semi-regular basis, not for too short a time, but it recognized that the longer you're at a place, the more your negatives are going to kind of influence as opposed to when you're coming in, you're looking to bring the Word of God, you're looking to teach, right? You you, you want to establish foundations, and so kind of keeping guys in that kind of a foundation, not to say that you can't be somewhere 30 years and pass it on, you can Sure. But uh, there, there's kind of a – there's there's a wisdom in this and, and the recognition that eventually my own habits as a human are going to become part of what people think Christianity is. And so I should be focusing development of the habits that are actually Christianity, <laughs> right, uh, so that this is the thing that I'm passing on. And that's what these five things are that, that are really being given to us here.
2: So that's interesting. So there was a time in the LCMS where they were trying to really kind of encourage guys to move around a little bit more.
0: From my understanding, there was a point at which it was like you don't stay there more than three to five years. Yeah. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. No. Now this is hearsay out of seminary, so maybe maybe I'm I'm mistaken on this. I was I remember when I heard it though, thinking, well, that's awful fast. Uh, but then yeah. you know, on the flip side of that, I have seen and experienced times where there's the twenty or the thirty or the forty year situation. And as well-meaning as anybody might be, it's kind of tough to follow that act, you know, no matter how you look at it. So I've also heard it said that that it's really about 10 to 12 years in that they finally trust you and you can can encourage some real long-lasting change. So you kind of want to be there long enough for that, but not so long that they put a golden toilet in the parsonage and all that kind of (laughs) stuff.
2: <laughs> right? What are you going for? I'm going for the golden toilet, man. Yeah, that's golden right. The, toilet.
0: The, yeah. the ultimate throne. So, hey, uh, you're, you're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, Worldview Demolition for the Soul. We're going to build it up with the word of God. Coming back.
3: Curious about an active retirement in a Christ-centered community in Central Florida? Lutheran Haven's brand new residence, The Landings, offers spacious
2: villa-style homes, convenient amenities coupled with a low-maintenance lifestyle that makes for an ideal retirement. With more than 50% of the community already sold, now is the
3: time to discover why so many have made the decision to call The Landings at Lutheran Haven home. Call 888-298-5590 or visit lutheranhaven.org/kfuo to discover how You can get the most out of your retirement at Lutheran Haven. Agnew's Day Liturgical Arts glorifies God in so many ways you could look at their website for days. You get art for show and sale. Artistic expertise, you'll hail. That's Agnew's Day Liturgical Arts. Pastors, teachers, and preachers alike will find it their extreme delight. That's Agnus Dei Liturgical Arts. Oil paintings and illustrations galore. See what they've got. You'll want even more. So get more at their website. See what's in store. That's AgnusDeiArts.com. Kelly Schumacher's AgnusDeiArts.com.
0: Chances are there'll never be an emergency ever again. But just in case, let's talk about a plan. Okay. Who is going to grab the go bag? What's a go bag? It is a bag we do not have that is filled with things we really, really need in an emergency. Guess we won't have to worry about it then.
1: Well, this is great. (laughs) I am so glad that we don't have a plan. I know. Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov slash kids for tips and information. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council.
2: Lutheran yesterday, Lutheran today, Lutheran always. Hi, this is Rich Robertson, President and CEO of the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Since the Reformation, the task of every Lutheran has been to make known the love of Christ. Since 1847, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has pursued this mission by word and deed. And since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has been the LCMS-based financial partner to help make the gospel of Christ heard. You can feel good partnering with LCEF because we share your Lutheran beliefs yesterday, today, and always. Find out more at lcef.org.
3: Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance on KFUO, inviting you to tune in to the weekend edition of the program at the new time of 7.45 a.m. Saturday and Sunday mornings. There'll be a different text and theme each week and plenty of encouragement and strength, which only the Lord's Word can supply. So join me for a quarter hour of God's power and strength. That's Moments of Assurance weekend at 7.45 a.m. Saturday and Sunday mornings on Worldwide KFUO.
0: Building up your life with the stronghold of our Lord's mighty word. Listen to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFU. Talking with Pastor Sam and Jacob Bobby about Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics: the truth we confess and repeat, and same say as best we can from Scripture to build ourselves up. What does it take to be a pastor? What is required of the pastoral office? What are the things that make for a good pastor? And how should we test and judge our pastors? We are now going to be continuing with point five. Then the final of the four points that were given. By way of just recapping, we kind of did it before, but the four points that we've covered up to this point are the theological aptitude of the pastor is first, his his faith in Christ. He's to actually be a Christian. He's to, to believe what we believe. Secondly, he is to confine himself to teaching God's Word. That is, he isn't going in to speculate or to teach what his own ideas are or his own reason says makes sense. He's to teach what the Word of God actually says. Thirdly, he's not to limit himself to only the parts of Scripture that he likes, right? So, neither is he to add but neither is he to subtract from the Scripture. He's to teach the entirety of God's Word, all of it. Fourthly, he's to call out falsehood, even by name, where it is to to reprimand false teaching and and stop it in its tracks. And then fifthly, the natural result of this gentleman, right? What's going to happen when, when he starts doing this as a pastor, he's going to, he's going to run into some suffering one way or the other. We were talking a little bit earlier about seminary and it made me me think, you know, I think my favorite class that I ever took was pastor's theological aptitude to suffer. And then, uh, you know, you walk in and it it was in the bottom of the basement and there were like torture weapons and all this. kind of stuff and it's like well we're gonna get ready here guys but uh, all, all kidding aside this just this first line here in point five on page 51 the theological aptitude of a pastor includes finally the willingness and strength to suffer for the christian doctrine i mean how do you test a guy for that i'm I, i'm not sure i was tested for that at am nothing against the sims i'm not trying to knock them there right i'm, I'm trying to say this is kind of a tough thing to test
2: well, in, in the strength there, I mean, to suffer, I mean, I think we automatically think of, like, physical suffering. Um, but I think when you're talking about strength there, I think you're just talking about the ability to hold up over, under all kinds of assaults that you're going to get um, from the world, from the devil, maybe even from within your own uh, congregation, uh, from your own community, to be able to stand up and do that um, and recognize that this is part of what it means. Um yeah that would that's going to be a difficult one to try to measure that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I I think trying to measure this would be very difficult. What you what you'd hopefully want to do is measure on the first four which is which I think you could measure on or at least get an idea where a guy's at and and hopefully then if that person goes out and does those four <laughs> then necessarily he's going to encounter suffering. Now, will he have the strength to suffer through it? I don't know. I mean, you hear about, I mean, I think part of what we call burnout is in in fact, maybe some of this is not not being able to carry the weight that comes with the performance of the office when you're doing these first four things.
0: I think think you're right on there. These are not, I don't have hard numbers in front of me and nor am I just talking LCMS, but it's my understanding that there are, it's like nine out of ten guys, or eight out of ten guys that go into pastoral ministry across denominations are, and you could include girls, I suppose, on this in in our civilization, are, are out within five to ten years. That they just, it's just you can't make it. Is one of the hardest jobs to do, and people think, oh, he just gets up on Sunday morning and talks and shakes hands, right? That's all he does. It is one of the most emotionally draining things I've ever experienced in my life. I can't, I cannot, I used to play sports, man, and I'd be done with the game. I'd be tired, but I'd be like, yeah, you know, that was good. I finished a Sunday morning. I want to crawl on a couch and die, you know, <laughs> just, just, just for a while. I'll come back later. Right. But just for a while. It, and that's just Sunday morning, let alone trying to bear with say someone who despises you because you're preaching the gospel to them who now is having her husband die and is on hospice and has all her three kids who don't come to church anymore but hate you cuz she hates you in the room and you got to like go and like Care, (laughs) right? I mean, the willpower to maintain that day in and day out, and it's just, it's like a gambit. It never changes, or it never changes. It is always changing. There's always a different threat to your own person, your own faith, your own understanding. And it's, it's exhausting. I don't know how else to say it. It's totally exhausting.
2: Well, and I think you bring up a good point there. I think when the dynamics of a pastor and the struggles that he's having and the suffering that he's having, I think when we typically think of that. You think of, okay, you're refuting false teachers. Now, they're lobbing all kinds of names at you and these kinds of things like you might see in some sort of protest against a conservative speaker on a campus or something like that. But what you bring up is a whole other part of this, like that whole idea of, you know, you got to teach what God's words say, and then you actually got to believe that. So this idea of suffering with people and loving your enemies and recognizing oftentimes that the difficulties and struggles that you're having might be your own as you're struggling with pride and all these other things, and keeping all of that, all of that stuff going and moving in the same direction and bringing it back all to Christ, yeah, that gets that can get very overwhelming very quickly.
1: Yeah, there's, you know, as much as we talk about pastors or parishioners being conformed to how their pastors act, I think part of the office is is suffering along with your people, what they're going through, you're going right. through, and if they they hold grudges or, 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 or apathetic. I mean, you, you carry all that on, on you as well. And I, that, that nine out of 10 only stay in five to 10 years. Uh, that, that doesn't surprise me at all because it is an emotionally, spiritually taxing <laughs> job. And if you don't, if you don't have ways of being able to deal with that, you're, you're going to get to a point where it's you're just not it not worth it you can't do it anymore
0: yeah there, there's there's more that the text here is going to have us kind of talk about to go in a different direction but i think there's two applications we want to throw out there right away from this this reality first is that if you're a young man considering seminary you got to know this going in man don't go don't believe it when some say to you, as some will, that it's going to be just the most wonderful thing. People are going to love you because you're so ready to be a pastor and you're so nice. And all this. Just uh, don't believe that if you care about the truth. It's, it's, it's not always going to work out that way. Obviously, you want to be nice and, and people will love you, but not only that. And the other side of this is if you're a parishioner and you love your pastor, for goodness sakes, let him know, <laughs> you know, and, and, and protect your good yep. pastor from what are bound to be the trials of his life, which even in the best of parishes you know i I remember hearing about and i think this is a great example of a a parish that they they surprised the pastor i think it was like the 10-year anniversary and with like a seven-day cruise for him and his wife and babysitting for the kids that's a way of saying we want you here we appreciate what you do now you don't have to do it that way but find a way to let your pastor know that that what he does is is valuable and find a way as a as a congregation to protect the pastor if you want him there Mm -hmm. because he's under assault all the time from more directions than you can imagine
1: Yeah, and before we move away from this point, in reading through the section, I thought, too, about the role of of elders in terms of of helping to take upon, uh, support the the pastor as he takes upon the weight of the office and and, and things like that, that, you know, elders have a a role in supporting the pastor who is necessarily going to come under attack and things like that, which requires them to, you know, not only— you know, know do stuff that you're talking about in terms of uh, providing providing ways so that the pastor knows he's appreciated, but also knowing uh, knowing and being willing to learn about the tough uh, positions that pastors who are faithful to the scriptures take uh, nowadays uh, and and being able to to help him and support him in taking those stands where stands need to be taken. Well, and that's something. I think pastors in the
2: 21st century, you've got to have awkward conversations. I don't know how you could be—and awkward is not even an appropriate word, I don't think. I mean, I don't know how you could be in the parish and be faithful to Scripture and not have a lot of difficult situations. Hmm. I've heard it put this way. Take whatever the conversations you don't want to have, and guess what? Those are probably the ones that you ought to be having right now. Um, you know, about folks living together, uh, close communion conversations, uh, you know, things about worship, idolatry, where are you at and all these things. I mean, just when you see the culture going one direction, and of course God's Word uh, continuing to uh, speak the truth, you know, there's a lot of hard conversations that the pastor's got to have and having the support of the elders, um, but also recognizing that he needs to do this and having pastors recognize or young men you know, just looking at going into the ministry, like this is going to be part of it. Like, you're going to have to do this. If you're going to fulfill uh, the, the duties that you have as a pastor and that are given to you by God's word, these are things you're just going to have to do. And that's probably going to result in suffering. A Several different levels.
0: Yeah, and we haven't even hit all of those, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, before we move on, I'm gonna reemphasize from two different angles here again. So, like, if you're planning to go into the ministry, expect to not make a living wage, expect to not have really good health care packages, expect to live in a parsonage that nobody really cares about fixing up for you. And if you're a, a congregation member, and I, I can say this because I'm not actually, you know, serving a parish right now, if you're a congregation <laughs> member, hey, you should be paying your pastor more than you do. I guarantee it. Oh, you met the district guidelines? Good for you. Up it by five percent. Show him that you care. Show him that you want him there. Take care of that parsonage. as your property, not his property. And it's you know it's for the good of the congregation itself. You want it to not be in a dilapidated shape. Uh, and, and and if you're going to do anything to support your pastor, especially, show up on Sunday. Show up to Bible study. Ask yes. a question. That'll make him happier than the money will. But believe me, it, it absolutely will. <laughs> so, uh, Peter throws at us page fifty one again. You know, right off the bat, look, an aptitude of the pastor he's going to suffer for the gospel, and then he, he's going to do what he always says. Scripture teaches us this, where Scripture distinctly includes the readiness to suffer for the sake of Christ and his word as a necessary part of the theologian's equipment. That's an awesome way of saying it. The apostle tells Timothy, quote, uh, you, therefore, endure hard, hardness or hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, suffer trouble even unto bonds, with the old translation there, right? Even, even into being put into jail. So Paul tells to Timothy, so all pastors should understand this, endure hardship because you're a soldier. You guys were talking a little while ago during the break, I think, about soldiers, right? And being in the military. That's how you got to conceive of the office of the ministry. These are men with marching orders.
2: Yeah, there's things that uh, we very clearly uh, have to do. It's interesting, though, because being a soldier under the cross is so much different because because suffering is to be expected i mean you're just following the way of christ in fact later on in that passage from uh, second timothy say if we endure with him suffering uh, we will reign with him Um, because that suffering is a reflection of the sinful fallen world it's a reflection of of god's grace for us and um, when you're in the office and you're proclaiming god's word that suffering is just going to follow
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a particular kind of soldiering (laughs) that we do, um, um, analogous in the sense that whether you're in, in, you know, uh, the civil realm being a soldier or in a, a, in the pastoral realm, you know, there's, there's the muck and and the hardness of it. But I think for, for pastors, there's, there's the, the particular kind of soldier is the one who, who suffers with those whom he shepherds and, and, um. And I think that 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 uh that is the difficulty of it. And um, but that's what we're called to do for pastors going in. I can't I can't say that I had a very good understanding of that going in to the the pastoral ministry. Um, probably the less I knew, maybe the better, <laughs> almost. But uh, but uh, I I it's something that has become real. Uh, the longer that I am a pastor and I didn't know what going in. And I think um, I think I guess it would be good for guys going in to know this, to read people before they go in and 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 especially this part to understand what's involved with with the job and the calling that you're you're getting into.
0: I'm with you, Jacob, in that I didn't have any clue at all. And a, a mentor of mine actually told me, if we told guys, then no one would ever go in. <laughs> so it's better that way. <laughs> but I, I took a different approach. And I only sent one guy to the seminary from from all of my time in the parish. But but I tried my best to talk him out of going. I did everything I could to <laughs> convince him. And I actually got, I talked him out of it. Like he, he actually said, yep, I'm not going to go finally. And then two months later, he's like, pastor, I'm going. And I was like, all right, nah, this time I'll support you, right? Because because he had been through the ringer already. I wasn't gonna let him just go in blind. And uh, from what I understand, the guy's doing pretty well so far. So I can just take all the credit for that, obviously, <laughs> right? So thanks for laughing, appreciate it. But but, but what, what, you know, the, again, the suffering is just in so many different levels. The, the the text comes to mind where the Son of Man says he has nowhere to lay his head. And, and one of the things right. that is has been very real for both myself and my wife has been no matter where we've been, no matter how long we wanted to stay there, we've always felt. Like outsiders, it's never been home Even when we've owned the home right? It, it's always like there's this possibility Of some other thing happening Or I, I, you can befriend the people In the congregation, but, but you can't not, not really, not in the same way So there's just this constant Soldiering, right? You're marching, you're moving You're, you're, you're not able to live your own life And uh, it's it, I don't know Maybe we're harping on it too much But it, it doesn't get brought up very often It's not the kind of thing a, a guy can really preach on
2: Well, and the whole point of this, though, is recognizing that this is a theological aptitude. So this is something that you have to be able to endure in order to faithfully fulfill the office of the ministry. And so, I mean, just recognizing that this is part of it, like without—I mean— and it's difficult. I don't want to, you know, you know, kind of downplay the, the analogy with the military. But you hear guys talk about combat, and oftentimes, if you've been in combat, if you've never been in combat, you, you, you can't t- you can't have that conversation with somebody because you've never experienced it. Mm. Um, and how do you how do you prepare somebody for these kinds of things? You know, but you know, when in recognition, when in reality, it's going to be very difficult to actually in it. And I, of course, you still have to train. You have to do all these things. And I think the same is true with the pastoral ministry they're not going to, somebody who's going to the pastoral ministry isn't going to really understand all this stuff till they're in there, and like you said, you know everybody's name in the congregation, yet you're not friends with them in the way that they're friends with each other, because right. you're always a reflection of God's Word, you're always there as kind of God's guy, and that's the way it's supposed to be, but because of that, there is a certain isolation, there is a certain, uh, kind of, I'm here, i um, I'm, 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 I'm part of this, but I'm not part of it in the same way that everybody else gets to be. I mean, just as an example, I mean, that's very difficult to try to communicate, um, but it's very real.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned, I mean, you can't talk about combat. If you've been in the armed forces, I mean, you've either had active duty where you're in the in the stuff or you haven't, and the guys who have been in it can talk about it. You know, I think the importance of of the brotherhood of pastors to be able to talk about this. I know when Sam and I, when we talk, I mean, we share the same vocation and we deal with this this the same stuff mm-hmm. and we're able to talk about that and to have guys that you can talk to and 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 not only talk to and and talk about the difficulties of it all but guys that are are willing and able to steer them in the right direction or to be able to deal with it and find the strength to you know to encourage one another with the word of god and and which ultimately is where the strength to endure this this these things lies
0: don't let us uh, don't let us scare you. You do want to go to seminary. We need good men in the ministry, just like we need good men in the armed forces. Just be ready. It's a war out there. We'll be right back.
3: Worldwide KFuo salutes our day sponsor on this Monday, October second, two thousand seventeen. Today's day sponsor is Carolyn Haddon. Today's day sponsor has made a contribution to Worldwide KFUO in loving memory of her mother, Inez Mashmeyer, on her birthday. Once again, we say thank you to Carolyn Haddon of Jacksonville, Illinois. Today's Worldwide KFUO Day Sponsor.
0: Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO.
1: The entrance to Museum of the Bible may be the most photographed museum entrance in Washington, D.C.,
3: Visitors will be welcomed by dramatic 40-foot-high bronze gates emblazoned with Genesis 1 from the Gutenberg Bible, with panels mimicking the Latin, typeset backwards, as it would have been on the Gutenberg Press.
1: A unique piece of art hangs in the lobby, a glass panel displaying Psalm 19 from a papyrus leaf from the museum collections. The Greek text dates to the 3rd or 4th century, a 1,500-year-old manuscript on display inside the museum.
2: Museum of the Bible invites all people to engage with the Bible in a museum experience unlike anything seen before. All in honor of the Bible. Engage with the book of all books.
1: Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Opening in November in Washington, D.C.
0: Welcome back to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, talking with Pastor Sam Bobby and Jacob Bobby, his bro, about Francis Pieper's Christian dogmatics and the habits of the pastor. Point five, the final point, the thing by which pastors must be judged before and while they're in the office, and frankly, guys, if you're pastors out there listening to this, the thing by which you ought to judge yourself, the final one, the willingness and the aptitude, the strength to suffer for the gospel. We've talked about a lot of different ways, guys, that that the pastor suffers physically, but what people wants to kind of drive to the surface here with the next sentence is that this is the result of some, it's not just a result of caring for people in a social club. This or you know, trying to make people get along. This is the direct result of the gospel itself. He says, the minister of the gospel cannot escape trouble because the gospel that is Jesus Christ crucified, which he preaches salvation by faith in the crucified Christ without deeds of the law does not at all appeal to the world, but is quote a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. The Christian, The Christian's lot, therefore, now he does take this to be all Christians, right, is described Mm -hmm. by Christ himself. You shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And so, you know, one of those things I guess surprised me as a young pastor was I'm going into the parish thinking, okay, the world's going to hate me but that the Christians are going to band together and we're all going to be like buddies about this thing, right? We're all on the same page. And what I found was that the world was very much a part of the church. And one of the most painful things, I suppose, was when someone who would have, you know, be a lifelong Christian, very pious, very dutiful would actually be upset by the gospel right that would be the thing that would be the thing that they didn't like me because i kept not letting them go back to their works one way or the other and it's, it is the gospel itself which is causes the suffering and, and in my experience the hardest thing to, for me to have strength over was to have somebody personally not like me because of that fact i'm like come on come on it's not even me right but but nonetheless it is you know, as a representative of christ it, it was
1: yeah, the, well, the I, reason. Oh, go ahead. Go. I must have said
0: something good because you both want to talk. Go, Jacob. Go ahead,
1: Jacob. I, well, the, that's that's this important is important because the reason that the world hates the gospel is going to give people the reason to hate you, and and so all you know when you when you mention you know not letting them go back to their works that you present the gospel, you know the free forgiveness and salvation without works by grace through faith alone. That in and of itself runs contrary to how the world thinks and believes, and you're going to get flack to that, which I, which is good to know. But I think it's it's the most important part is is to realize, and it may be helpful for pastors, is that when you deal, when you encounter this, it is it is because of the gospel. You know, it's not, and and almost like a distancing yourself in a way from. The, the hatred and, that people have for you in the sense that you can know it's because of the gospel and not necessarily at you as a person, which may give a, a person a perspective on it to be able to endure it even better. Well,
2: and I think it's worth
1: kind of just expanding on what you said about they don't like you because of the
2: gospel. They don't like you because you're preaching God's you know free gift of grace in Jesus Christ. And that might seem odd, but really, it's not right because what you're doing is you are taking their works and you're categorizing them as sin. You know, you're categorizing them as as uh, absolute stench in God's nostrils, not the good that they think it is. And typically, that's the source of their identity, or at least that's what they're struggling. With. Like this is this is who I look at all this good stuff that I do, and and pastor you can preach and you can talk about, you know, all kinds of ethical and moral stuff and that's good. But the second you actually call me out on this specific thing that I'm doing, uh, that I'm not relying on Christ on, that I'm, I'm putting above him, that I'm fear, love and trusting in above, uh, above, uh, God. Um, yeah, that is not That's like poking a hornet's nest. I mean, some people are going to respond and repentance. Um, some people are just going to be like, eh, whatever just apathy, which to me is worse because, like, you don't know where they're at. Like, what do I got to do, you know, Um, or what do I got to say? But, I mean, some people are going to flack it hostile. That's all there is to it.
0: Whenever you poke an idol, right? Whenever you take away yeah. the thing someone's trusting in for their justification, the result is going to be anger because that's what sinners do, right? I am good enough. I I swear it. And no you're not. Urgh, right? It's just it just that's all that we have to do. Now, in I don't want to I want to make sure we move through the rest of this text. We can keep coming back to wherever you guys want to go in it, but Peter goes on to say it is but natural And experience confirms it, that this hatred, which is for all Christianity, should be directed principally against the teachers of the church. Why is it natural? Because they're the ones talking in public. (laughs) They're the ones out front, right? What Jesus said concerning Paul applies in some degree to all faithful ministers of the gospel. Quote, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And if the minister is not willing to suffer the loss of his goods of honor and rank, yes, even of his life, he is not a profitable servant of the church. He will, for the sake of ease, compromise with error. He may even deny Christ and thus be denied by him. And that's hard stuff, but he just has to be kind of re emphasized. You know, In Latin, I say it at the start of every one of these shows there's going to be teachers who are going to teach what people's itching ears long to hear. I know that temptation well. Every pastor does. You want to tell them what they're going to like, but if that is ultimately your goal, you are bound to become a false teacher. Even though you got the name Lutheran stamped on your back or the outside of your church, you can wiggle around all of that stuff, right? If, if you are not willing to believe what Jesus says of Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake, that that is what it means to be called to the office of the ministry, then you're you're starting down a, a wide road that leads to destruction. And, oh, gosh, well, repentance is always the answer, and it's always going to accuse the faithful, so I don't want to be too mean. What do you think, guys? I think there's—
1: oh there's a constant temptation there's a constant temptation to to take the the compromise with air and not preach what you know needs to be preached and that is that is I mean there are times where you write a sermon at least where I write a sermon where you know i I know what I need to preach and I better you know take a sleep aid the, the night before so I can fall asleep so my mind's not going and I, I don't wake up wanting to change something you know because it's it's there are times where you need to preach the thing that folks don't want to hear but need to hear. You need to be the surgeon, you need to cut so that you can heal. And and that is that is never nev- uh, not always going to win you friends. Um, it you know, and so that's 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 definitely a temptation to get away from that. And I, I think this desire for ease, this goes back to that first aptitude, the one of
2: faith. I mean, because of faith, is trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You recognize who you are before God. And what this world absolutely cannot give you, and so to suffer with Christ and to recognize that in Christ suffering is a reflection of, of our sin and what we deserve. Well, then then suffering is just an extension. So I have to think that if somebody is compromising doctrine because of ease, ultimately it's because they're trying to cling some to something outside of Christ to begin with. And so I, you know, as you, as you kind of talk about and look at these aptitudes, you see that they're pretty interconnected. Because if that if that faith Faith is not there in Christ uh, in the sense of, for the forgiveness of sins, I recognize I'm a sinner, uh, which is why I rely upon Christ. Eventually, yeah, it's going to be easy to kind of compromise on doctrines because, you know, you're going to be outside of that realm of seeing suffering as something just part of, you know, your faith in Christ.
0: Jesus says you're not allowed or not allowed. You can't serve both God and mammon. And yet, you know, we all are trying pretty much all the time. And not just pastors, but also people. We're in this internal mortifying war with our own flesh. So it's not that a pastor will never experience the desire for ease or or even experience some ease. right? It's that when push comes to shove, the pastor believes that the real ease he needs more than any other is the ease of the gospel, and so he would rather be crucified than let go of that freedom of conscience which the blood of Jesus alone gives him. That's why he holds a doctrine. He knows that these truths from the scripture also are upholding that Christ placarded on the cross for you, and you start taking those away, and now my certainty in my, in, in my salvation increases. Christ is taken away, and now you know all the cherries on top in the world really doesn't mean much to me because I got an open grave staring at me and my sin and Judgment Day, right? So, so the, the pastor is seeking this this greater comfort, but it's not as if the battle isn't there. It's not as if the temptation isn't there. What what people really getting at, I guess, then is is this final section here the, the Christian ministry requires strong men, men able to endure hardship. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. No, I mean, no, be strong in what? In grace, in yeah. the trust that Christ is sufficient to see you through this, because, because frankly, if you go into the seminary thinking I've got the aptitude to suffer for the gospel, I can kind of tell you you got a hard you got a hard first ten years coming, <laughs> as as Christ shows you where your idol lies. So, uh, we got about we got a good seven minutes here to chat, guys. What are, what are your thoughts?
1: I, you know, I've I've been reading uh, this this last part being strong uh, strong men you know, able to endure hardship. I was reading that book, uh, by, uh, Jeff Hemmer, oh, uh, yeah. man up, Yeah, and oh, that's which, a great book. which, you know, redefines kind of what masculinity is in terms of servanthood and, and doing your, doing, uh, serving your, your family and, and, and whatnot. And I think that, um, you know, the pastoral office is a manly office understood, if you understood manly correctly, you know, that it's not machismo or anything like that, but it's the idea that you're going to, you're going to stand for what is right and you're going to suffer whatever may come because of what you know to be true and what you know to be the ultimate hope for us sinners, which is Jesus Christ and his salvation and resurrection. And, and there is a, a manliness to the office of the ministry, uh, that you, you, that that is needed in order to be profitable as a servant of the church. And um, it's not all, you know, flexing your, your muscles and, and making your will be known and, and minded, um, but oftentimes it is it is doing the hard things that, that you don't want to do um, because you know them to be the right thing to do. I think you should just get points for getting machismo in there, man. Machismo. That's yeah. <laughs> well, wait, that was the agreed upon word I had to fit in somehow, right, at the beginning of this.
0: But there well there is you're right though in that there's the danger of seeing it as like, you know, beat my chest and I I have a gun, right? Like like that somehow that's all that manliness is as opposed to there there is a, a healthy understanding of even what machismo wants to be, which is what you're talking about, that look. The world is trying to break into my house and steal my goods. I'm talking about the gospel now. I'm not talking about my stuff. I'm talking about the gospel. I'm trying to steal my goods from my family. I'm going to hold that door shut with all of my life. I am not going to let this wolf get in and eat these sheep. I'm going to be a shepherd with a staff and do the work. And that is that is not something for a pushover. You know, That is someone who wants an easy or an effeminate life. If, they're going to not be able to fight that fight you know this language out of Ephesians chapter 6 the armor of God language is just so potent to me you know therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm Th- that's what we're talking about the armor of God is the, the word of God the, the the promises of the gospel to you your own baptism into Christ and as a pastor particularly your your job as you preach is to stand up and let the world shoot you for believing this, knowing firmly that other Christians are going to hear it, and they're going to be confirmed in the faith, and it's going to sustain them in it, not by you, but by the words themselves. But this this is a masculine thing. Jesus was a man. When he died, this is what he was doing. He was standing against the devil and closing the mouth of the wolf, right? All of that. So, yeah, machismo, totally agree, you know, the the stupid ha-ha kind of stuff. That's not what we're getting at, but there is something about this that is not nurturing if i can say it in contradistinction to the the beauty of mm-hmm. womanhood
2: no that, that that's absolutely right and you said effeminate and i think that's accurate because in that book he'll talk about what it means to be effeminate and effeminate is just really not wanting to do what you're talking about there, not willing to be the person who is willing to suffer to self-sacrifice. Um, in this case, uh, for the gospel, which the pastor is called to do, all Christians are called to do it. But the pastor looks at the congregation, t- at his, sh- you know, at, at the sheep, in the same way. Like you said, you know, somebody breaking into your house. Like, no, this is this is my vocation. This is what I need to do, and I need to uh, uh, stand up for this. And, and it's and it kind of stinks, right? Because I mean. In some ways it'd be nice to be able to urge young men on the basis of that, if there were the proper understanding was there, to like this is this is a good calling, a good vocation into which to go that will complement the other things that you will be doing as a man. Um it's just so difficult in our day and age to even talk that way and have anyone understand because it's just so it seems like it's so far gone. And maybe that's just me, but it just seems that way.
1: Yeah, and there's I think there is there's uh, in the minds of most people, they see the the pastoral office as I mean, I don't think manly would be the word that they would use no. to describe it. No. In fact, no. I think a lot of pastors strive towards the opposite characteristic, which is to be nurturing and 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 um, you know, very I don't know, emotive. Yeah. I guess would be another another way instead. Yeah, and, let's hold hands and sing and- "Kumbaya." And- yeah, right. Like, you know, that's that's the idea. Some some, you know, I, mean, uh, I don't want to get. Yeah, i be careful who I get down on here. But but right. the fact of the matter is, is that there if you're going to be doing the word to folks, man, that is a that is an active um, um, masculine thing to be doing in the sense of doing doing what the hard thing is to do.
0: There There is a place for a father to nurture and comfort his children. There is definitely a place for that, but it's not his primary role especially let's go back to someone breaking into the house i wake up in the middle of the night someone's breaking into the house i'm like honey get the kids take care of them that's her task to nurture right so the lady have that task as well to care for each other but my job is to go handle that other issue and if i die then i die right and that is the task of the pastor primarily at least so far as the fifth point of the habit that we're talking about here with just uh, about a minute each uh, closing thoughts on on the morning morning this afternoon Uh, it's monday Closing
2: <laughs> uh, uh, we just So we're studying this man up as a Bible study in our circuit. We get about 30 guys. It's pretty awesome. But what you said there about going down in the middle of the night, one of the pastors says, you know, it doesn't matter what kids you know, think or say or what they've been taught, where they come from politically or religiously. You ask them at night who goes down. If there's a noise in the middle of the night, who goes down? You know what every kid says? Dad goes down. <laughs> that's just who goes down, and I think it's I think it's good that um, you know able to being able to talk about the pastoral ma- uh, ministry and the aptitude from that from that direction and from that kind of understanding, but recognizing it ultimately that it is about Christ and that He embodies what that looks like and He embodies that suffering. That's what we're called to do, and that's what's going to happen when you preach the gospel, especially clearly or effectively.
1: Yeah, and and I think. Oh, the whole point that Peter's making through these points is just is is important for for people to recognize that that while all Christians have faith and are called to to be knowledgeable about their faith, to be able to give a defense, to be able to comfort and a reason for the hope in them, and all that, that there is an aptitude that is required for the pastoral office because it is not kid stuff, it's not funny business, it's it's a it's a. It's a job that requires uh, a special type of, of person, and it, it comes with certain um, uh, pitfalls. And um, and so, uh, for Laity to recognize that of their pastors, for pastors who are thinking about going into to to have an an idea of that going into it open eyed, I think I think is is important to do. And Peter brings it out beautifully.
0: Pastor Jacob Bobby is pastor at. Oh, First Trinity Lutheran Church in Bloomfield, Nebraska, and Pastor Samuel Bobby, pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church, Aberdeen, South Dakota. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk. A discussion on Francis Pieper's Christian dogmatics and the habits, the aptitudes required for the pastoral ministry. These are good things, hard as they might be, but things which point us to the real man, Jesus Christ, who was up on the cross for you, unwilling to let the devil have you, given his life that the wolf might die. We'll catch you next week on Cross Defense. Cross
2: Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue.
3: To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518,
2: or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.